Well, good evening, Providence Baptist Church. It is Wednesday, April 22nd. Uh, we're gathering together again online for our Wednesday night Bible study. We're still in 1 Kings. We'll be in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 12 through 46 today. If you want to take your copy of God's Word, and go ahead and be turning there. I'm hoping you're gathering together and, and listening to these Bible studies. They've been very good in my opinion. This has been a very, very interesting study. And remember, all these things are given to us for our learning and for our, our ex, uh, exhortation in the Scripture. So I think we can learn a lot from what's happened in these people's lives in the Old Testament. And I know I've learned a lot, and I hope you've been enjoying the study as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to the day, though, that we can get together again in God's house and pray together and study God's Word actually together in the church house but until then we'll keep doing this and i just pray that you'll continue to stay caught up in the bible study that way when we do get to meet together again you'll be on track and we'll be ready to rock and roll with that well let's go to the lord in prayer before we continue uh, with our study tonight heavenly father lord we just bow before you we thank you for all the blessings that you do give us lord we know that we're going through tough times right now father there's people hurting and people struggling lord but we just ask you that you'll comfort those people. You'll help them in this time of need, Lord. I ask you that you'll just bring honor and glory to yourself through all this, Lord. But at the same time, we ask you that you'll alleviate this as quickly as possible. Lord, that you'll <clears throat> help us be able to, to go back to work and to meet together again in church and other gatherings as, as soon as possible, Lord. Father, I ask you that you'll go with all those who are affected by this illness and those who are affected by other illnesses, Lord, we just ask you that you'll comfort them in ways that only you can, Lord. We ask you that you'll use all of those circumstances to bring people to a saving knowledge of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Father. God, I ask you to go with our church family. I ask you to protect each and every one of us, Lord. I just ask you to help us to do our best to honor and glorify you and exalt you in all this, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you for allowing us to come together and study your word in any way we can, Lord. So I ask you to help us do that tonight, Lord. Just go with me and help me unpack this as best I can, Father. Help us learn what you have us, you'd have us to from this text. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In First Kings chapter two, verses twelve through forty six, I want to talk to you tonight about prioritizing God's kingdom. No, Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You know, the fact of the matter is that one day, and probably one day soon, at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, every single Christian is going to see the kingdom of God in all its glory. But in the meantime, the struggle to establish God's kingdom is really fought in the human heart. Every decision we make about money or sexuality or other things in this life, in this world, uh, with every one of those decisions, we're deciding for our own kingdom or we're deciding for the kingdom of God, one of the two. The same battle was fought when Solomon established his kingdom in Israel that we're going to look at uh, this evening. And if we look carefully at the choices that all these people we're going to look at made, either the choices they made for the kingdom of God or against the kingdom of God and for the rightful king or against the rightful king, uh, I think we can see ourselves in our own need for the rightful anointed king of God. 
I want us to notice, first of all, how Solomon establishes his kingdom. In verse 12, we read that Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. And then down in verse 46, it says basically the same thing. It says, thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So if you'll remember, back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, God had promised to establish the kingdom of David's son, Solomon. And now we've come to a point where we're seeing that promise come true. And I want, you to rem- I want that to remind us of something. God is always, always faithful to keep his promises. Every single promise that's ever been made in the word of God has been kept. And every single promise that has not come to fruition yet will come to pass. He is faithful. And we're about to see the, uh, the way this promise came true. This promise didn't come true by a divine miracle. This promise came true by the quick execution of justice in the kingdom of God. Solomon established his kingdom by uh, taking David's advice and eliminating his enemies. So once he took the throne, Solomon had to decide what to do with the men who had plotted against his kingdom and against him as being the rightful king. If you'll remember in David's final instructions, he told Solomon to execute vengeance against Joab and against Shimei. And that's more or less what we're going to see Solomon do here. The rest of 1 Kings chapter 2 tells us about how Solomon executed Adonijah and Joab and Shimei and how he banished Abiathar. I want you to remember that Solomon was God's anointed king. And as God's anointed king, he had the responsibility to administer justice in the kingdom. And so what's going on here is not something out of the ordinary. It's not some harsh consequence. This is Solomon doing his job. Now, this wasn't merely a matter, matter of politics or political differences. It, it was really a question of obedient submission to the kingdom of God. Now, these men weren't just Solomon's rivals. They were bitter enemies of the crown. Uh, They were bitter enemies of the anointed king. They were bitter enemies of the kingdom of God, and so they had to be dealt with accordingly. Adonijah and his followers were guilty of the sin of treason, and that sin has always been, and rightfully so, it's always been regarded as a capital offense. So Solomon needed to follow uh, the wise advice of his father David, David and establish his kingdom by eliminating his enemies. And so that's what we're about to see him do. And the first enemy we see him deal with is Adonijah. <clears throat> now let's look at Adonijah's downfall. Now Solomon really had four primary enemies that he needed to deal with. Adonijah, Abiathar, Joab, and Shimei. And what's important to notice about all these men is that they all put their own desires ahead of obedience to the kingdom of God and ahead of obedience to the rightful anointed king. So really, the stories of these guys gives us some test cases in temptation for ourselves. Notice the first man that Solomon had to deal with. The first man he had to deal with was Adonijah. Adonijah wanted sex and power more than he wanted the kingdom of God. Adonijah's lust for power has really been obvious to us from the beginning of 1 Kings. All the way back from the beginning, he tried to crown himself as the king over Israel, even though he was not the rightful king, and he knew it. He tried to crown himself. But at the very moment he was celebrating his own coronation, remember that Adonijah heard that Solomon uh, was made 
the king over Jerusalem. David had anointed him as or the priest uh, had anointed him as king uh, in Israel, and so this caused Adonijah to fear for his life. But what Solomon do? Solomon gave him a second chance, right? He said if Adonijah proved himself worthy, then he would spare his life. But if he turned out to be wicked, that he would surely die. You can find that in chapter 1, verse 52. At first, <clears throat> Adonijah honored Solomon. He did what he was supposed to do. Solomon told him to go home in peace. But the next thing we know, we see Adonijah here making a very ungodly request. In verses 13 through 17. It says, Now Adonijah the son of Haggath came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, <clears throat> Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, Say it. Then he said, You know that the kingdom was mine, and all Israel had set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, <clears throat> the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's. For it was his from the Lord. Now I ask one petition of you. Do not deny me. And she said to him, Say it. And then he said, Please speak to Solomon, or to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as a wife. So his request is for Solomon to give him Abishag as his wife. Now, on the surface, that might not seem like really a big deal. It kind of seems like a small request. Adonijah was willing to give up the entire kingdom and even to acknowledge that Solomon's kingship was God's will, right? You notice that? And all he wanted in return was Abishag's hand in marriage. But I want you to notice the huge sense of entitlement Adonijah still had. I mean, he was angry that life had not met his expectations. He said to Bathsheba, Hey, the kingdom was mine, and you know it. You know it was mine. All the people of Israel expected me to be the king. Well, that, that's not really true. The only people that wanted him to be king was those yes-men he'd gathered around him. But nevertheless, he, he claimed he had the right to the kingdom. And even though he acknowledged Solomon's kingship as the Lord's doing and as the Lord's will, we can still see how bitterly he resented all this. And he demanded some sort of compensation. You know, it's really easy for us to have the same attitude that Adonijah had. Whenever the disappointments of life get in the way of our own plans for our own kingdoms, sometimes we act the same way with the same attitude. Maybe we suffer some kind of financial setback, or maybe we have some kind of medical hardship, or... Maybe we have some kind of failed relationship. When that happens, sometimes rather than believing that the mercy and provision of Jesus is enough for us, instead of trusting our king to know what he's doing, we demand something to make up for what we've lost, don't we? And we might say this, I deserve this, or I deserve that. And then we take something for ourselves that God doesn't want us to have. Maybe it's some kind of sinful pleasure. Maybe it's some kind of shiny new product that we go out and buy anyway, even though we know it's not God's will. And so rather than letting go of what we want so that we can have what God wants us to get or what God wants to give us, we find a way instead to take what we want for ourselves. 
And folks, that always ends up in disaster. Anytime we try to take what we want for ourselves instead of what God's will is for us and what he wants to give us, it never turns out for good. Well, <clears throat> what Adonijah wanted here was Abishag, that beautiful young woman who had attended David on his deathbed. And there's no doubt in my mind that his desire was at least partly sexual. Remember what it said in chapter 1, verse 3, Abishag was the best-looking woman in the entire country. And when Adonijah saw her, he wanted her, right? But mainly here, he wanted the power that she represented. You see, Abishag was the last addition to David's harem. And in those days, having intercourse with the king's wives or with one of the king's wives was a way to claim the throne. I want you to remember back to 2 Samuel chapter 16, whenever Absalom tried to take the kingdom away from his father David. What happened there? You remember that he went up on the palace rooftop and slept with his father's concubines. And that was a declaration that he had taken the kingdom. So Adonijah, we see here, had not really abandoned his kingly ambitions at all. He was really still seeking to become king. Uh, to possess the harem was to rule the kingdom. So it wasn't just Abishag that he wanted, but it was the whole kingdom. You know, we're guilty of the same sin whenever we decide that there's even one thing that we will not give up for the kingdom of God. Now, many people refuse to give up the very same things that Adonijah refused to give up. Sometimes they refuse to give up a, an inappropriate sexual relationship. And they go after that instead of after the kingdom of God. Or maybe it's some kind of secret desire for power, uh, similar to Adonijah. And so they go after that rather than the will of God and what God wants for his kingdom. <clears throat> but we need to understand something. When we insist on getting our own way and getting our own satisfaction, uh, however it is that we may go about getting it, what we're really saying is this. We're saying no to the kingdom of God. We're saying that the provision of King Jesus is not enough for us, and we still want to be the king or the queen of our own lives and our own kingdom. So I ask you this question. What is the one thing that is keeping you from giving everything for the kingdom of God? What is that one thing? Or maybe it's multiple things. What's keeping you from, from giving everything to the anointed king, to King Jesus, and to the kingdom of God? Whatever that is needs to be dealt with. Well, again, Adonijah's one thing here was Abishag and what she represented. And he thought he knew the way to get her. He had asked Bathsheba to really be the, the go-between here. In verses 18 through 21, it says, So Bathsheba said, Very well, I will speak for you to the king. Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. <clears throat> and the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. So she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as wife. Well, <clears throat> there's a lot of question to whether or not Bathsheba knew what was going on here, really knew what she was asking. 
uh, of her son Solomon. Uh, maybe she was just trying to get rid of uh, Abishag because she had come in and uh, become a wife of David, which was her husband. Uh, I'm not sure what the case is here, but I want you to notice something that she never actually indicates whether or not she agrees with Adonijah uh, in this ordeal. My opinion, more than likely, she knew exactly how Solomon re would react to this. She knew that Solomon would see that this was a, a grab for the throne by Adonijah, and she knew that Solomon would, uh, this would cause him to take David's advice and, and get rid of, of Adonijah. Now, that's probably what's going on. I can't be dogmatic about that. But whatever the case, Solomon, he made a response in verses 22 through 25. And it didn't make him happy. <clears throat> it says, And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, for him and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zerah. He's saying here, yeah, you might as well ask, be asking me to give him the whole kingdom because that's what he's really after in, in asking this. Verse 23, then, the king, or then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me and more also if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David my father and who has established a house for me as he has promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benai, the son of Jehoiada, <clears throat> and he struck him down, and he died. So Solomon, he saw what was going on here, and he rightly perceived that Adonijah's foolish, ungodly request was really a, a power play for the throne. He was trying to, to take the throne again. So Solomon swore an oath to put Adonijah to death for treason. And in doing this, he rightly acknowledged that his kingdom is really God's kingdom and that it must be defended against all enemies. And so that's what he did. He defended the kingdom of God against the enemies. So Adonijah's life, we see here, comes to a bitter end. His sinful request proved that he was really not a worthy man after all. You know, Adonijah knew who was supposed to be the king. He knew who the anointed king really was, but he refused to submit to his kingship. He put his own lust for power and pleasure ahead of God's kingdom, and he would not give up what he wanted for the glory of God. And so notice what happened. He perished in his sins. <clears throat> he put his own kingdom ahead of the kingdom of God, and he perished for it. And folks, it's going to be the same end for anybody. If you put your own wants and needs, or not needs at all, really, but your own desires, ahead of God's will, ahead of God's anointed king, ahead of God's kingdom, if you seek to selfishly live for yourself your whole life, do not repent and turn to the rightful king and live for the kingdom of God, listen, your outcome is going to be the exact same. It's going to be the same as Adonijah's. Your life will come to a bitter end and you'll perish. Just like Adonijah did. Well, let's look at some more guys that Solomon had to deal with. He had to deal with Abiathar and Joab as well. Abiathar was the priest, remember, and Joab was the general. <clears throat> and each of these guys put something ahead of the kingdom of God as well. 
Abiathar's story is told pretty briefly in verses 26 through 27. <coughs> it says, And to Abiathar the priest, the king said this, Go to Anathoth, uh, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord, uh, the ark of the Lord God, before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. So Abiathar, you remember, had also uh, been in support of Adonijah when he tried to seize David's throne. So he was also an enemy of the kingdom of God, and he really deserved to be condemned to death as well for treason. But Solomon didn't put Abiathar to death. Notice he, he instead put him into exile, basically, because he had offered sacred service to King David. Even through affliction, he had helped King David. So the priest expelled him instead of executing him. So Solomon removed him from his office and he sent him back to his home outside of Jerusalem there. The Bible goes on to say that this punishment was in fulfillment of the judgment of God that had been pronounced against the house of Eli in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 2, verses 27 through 36. And Abiathar belonged to the house of Eli. And so this was a fulfillment of prophecy because of the way Eli and his sons had treated the, the priesthood. And I also want you to notice that apparently... This banishment had some corrective effect upon Abiathar because later on we'll find out that Abiathar was restored to the priesthood over in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 4. So I want you to notice there that God forgives those who repent. He repented and he was restored later on. Well, that's what happened to Abiathar. What about Joab? Well, things were much worse for Joab. Don't you remember... In order to advance his own agenda and in direct contradiction to King David, Joab had murdered two men in cold blood. He murdered Abner and he murdered Amasa. Joab also opposed Solomon as being king as well. Uh, when he had heard, uh, he had joined Adonijah in his coronation, but when he had heard what happened to Adonijah and to Abiathar, he knew he was in trouble. He knew he was as good as dead. Verse 28 says, Then news came to Joab, for Joab had def uh, defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord, and he took hold of the horns of the altar. So soon the news of what Joab had done got back to Solomon, and so Solomon made a quick decision. Verse 29 through 30 <clears throat> says, And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle of the Lord, and he said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he said, No, but I will die here. So he sent Benaiah to kill him, but Joab had, laid, had went to the altar and, and grabbed a hold of the altar, hoping that would save him. But... So this uh, kind of created a dilemma for Benaiah. Benaiah didn't want to carry out an execution there in the holy tabernacle. Verse 30 says, Benaiah brought back word to the king, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. So he told him that Joab refuses to leave this altar. What am I supposed to do here? Well, this is what Solomon did. He re basically repeated the same orders and made it clear why 
Joab had to die. Verses 31 through 33 says, Then the king said to him, Do as he has said, and strike him down and bury him, that you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head, because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he, and killed them with the sword. Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah, <clears throat> though my father David did not know it. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Joab was guilty, and he had to be dealt with. He was guilty of shedding innocent blood, and his uh, uh, payment had not yet been doled out for that sin. So Proverbs sixteen seventeen says that God hates the shedding of innocent blood. And it says all the way back in Genesis 9, 6, that whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. So Joab deserved the death penalty. And if Solomon did not deal justly with Joab and, and give Joab the punishment that his sins deserved, then guess what would happen? He would become guilty himself, and his family would become guilty. Because it was his responsibility as the king to see that justice was done in the kingdom. And then only then, according to verse 33, <clears throat> could his kingdom be established in peace as God had promised. So that's what he did. He carried out justice so the guilt wouldn't be upon his family. It was instead upon Joab and his descendants, as rightfully it should be. And this time, Benai did what Solomon said to do, and he executed Joab. Verses 34 through 35 says, So Benai, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benai, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok the priest in the place of Abiathar. So this guy Joab, the man who had lived by the sword, notice now he died by the sword. And usually that's the way it happens, folks. If you, Unless you repent and turn back to God, if you want to live like Joab did, then more than likely you're going to die the same way Joab did. And the truth of the matter is, he was an enemy of God, and judgment fell upon him. And you listen to me. Judgment will fall on every single enemy of God, on every single enemy of the kingdom of God who does not repent. Listen, if you don't repent, judgment will fall upon you. And the only way to be safe is to submit to the kingship of the anointed king, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Revelation 21, 8, that there is no place in the kingdom of God for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. Uh, it goes on to say they will go to the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jesus himself said in Matthew thirteen forty one through 43 that he would gather out of his kingdom all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He who has ears, let him hear. Oh, we need to listen to what the word of God says about this. Listen, Jesus will show mercy to anybody 
who truly repents of their sin and turns back to him, turns to him for salvation. But just like Solomon, he will render righteous judgment to everybody who insists on remaining his enemy. Folks, be wise. Don't remain an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. Call out to him as the rightful anointed king and accept him for salvation. If we don't repent of our treason against God, uh, but if we instead continually insist on getting what we want, listen, there's no place for us in the kingdom of God. Going to church won't save you. Going to church won't save us any more than going to that tabernacle saved Joab here in 1 Kings chapter 2. The only thing that can save us is a blood offering to atone for our sin. Joab didn't do that. He didn't take a blood offering. But praise God, that's exactly the offering that Jesus Christ made when he was crucified on Calvary's cross. It was a blood offering. It was blood atonement for all of our sins, for the sins of the world. So I implore you, come to God in true repentance for your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today. He has made the once and forever offering for sin. All you've got to do is make him your rightful king. Well, Joab failed to do that. <clears throat> that brings us to our last person that we're going to talk about, and that's Shimei. Let's look at Shimei's downfall. The last man to suffer Solomon's wrath was this guy, Shimei. He was condemned for putting money or possessions ahead of the kingdom of God. Now remember, Shimei was the guy who threw stones at King David and cursed him and wrongfully accused him of murder. And David had vowed not to kill Shimei, uh, but Solomon didn't. Solomon wasn't bound by David's oath not to kill him. So David, in his last words, told Solomon that he needed to <clears throat> uh, do away with Shimei, basically execute Shimei. But what Solomon decided to do instead was to place Shimei kind of like uh, under house arrest, I guess, if you will. In verses 36 through 37, says, Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from, from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day that you go out and cross the brook Kindron, uh, know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. So he basically made a deal with him, told him to stay in the, in the land, and that would keep uh, him there around Jerusalem where Solomon could keep his eye on him. And Shimei agreed to the terms. Uh, verse 38 says, Shimei said to the king, The saying is good, as my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. So Shimei gave Solomon his word, and he would stay there, there around his house. And I, really, all, that's all he had to do. All he had to do was stay there in Jerusalem. But he didn't do it. Shimei didn't stay put, and eventually he violated the terms of his parole. Verses 39 through 40 <clears throat> says, Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Maacah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. So Shimei uh, has broke his promise here. 
He broke his promise to Solomon by chasing his runaway slaves over into Philistine territory in Gath. And he knew it was wrong, but he did it anyway, right? Why? Because he wanted to bring his property back. He wanted to get his possessions back. Well, soon Solomon found out about it. His spies came and told him what happened in verses 41 through 43. It says, And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king <coughs> excuse me, sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, No, for certain that on the day that you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die. And you said to me, the uh, the word I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? Well, Shimei didn't have a good answer. He couldn't say anything in his defense. So Solomon proceeded to pronounce what was going to happen to him in verses 44 through 46. Says the king said moreover to Shimei, You know as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David. Therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benai, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Oh. You might ask, well, why was Shimei's crime such a big deal? I mean, all he did was go and gather back up some, some slaves that belonged to him that had ran away. Well, it was a big deal for this reason, because the root of his crime was his refusal to put the kingdom of God first. Notice that his own prosperity, really his own financial uh, situation, his own financial prosperity was more important to him than obedience to the kingdom of God. More important to him than obedience to the anointed king, right? He was kind of like the rich young ruler that Jesus commanded to sell everything that he had over in Matthew chapter 19 and then give his money to the poor and follow him. Well, sadly, we know what that man did. He refused because he loved his money more than he loved the king more than he loved Jesus, and he loved his money more than he loved the kingdom of God. And Shimei made the same ungodly mistake. He wanted to keep all his property for himself. He didn't want to lose any of it. He couldn't bear to let any of his possessions go, even when it meant disobeying the king and breaking his promise to God. Folks, it's not worth it. Jesus said if you save uh, if you save your life for this world, you'll lose it. But if you give your life for me, you'll gain it. Listen, all the possessions and all materialism, all this world will do is cause you to miss out on the kingdom of God. So I ask you, are you giving all for the kingdom of God? I ask myself, am I giving all for the kingdom of God? Each of these men that Solomon executed had at least one thing that he refused to give up for the kingdom of God. Adonijah had to have Abishag, right? And he had to have royal authority. Joab wanted his power, and Joab, I believe, wanted his revenge. Shimei, <clears throat> again, he wouldn't let go of his earthly possessions. 
You know, we all face similar temptations. We all face things that we don't want to give up. Some of us are like Shimei. Maybe our temptation is what money can buy. So we're unwilling to walk away from some maybe some profitable business deal that's really not entirely honest. Or we may be building our careers at the expense of our families. Or we may focus on all these material possessions that the world has to offer instead of focusing on the kingdom of God. Other people may be like Adonijah. We put sexual gratification ahead of our commitment to the kingdom of God. Or maybe we put the desire for power or position or popularity ahead of the Lord. Um, Others are like Joab. We're guilty of anger or maybe we're guilty of violence. May we have an attitude that we should be number one, right? Or that we always know what's best. Or maybe we lash out at others in anger if we don't get our way. The question is for each of us, what is your thing? What is the one thing, or maybe it's more than one thing, what are are the things that keep you from giving everything to the kingdom of God? You know, it's all or nothing with God. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. It's all or nothing. And that should be that way for any self-respecting king. It's the character of a king to demand total allegiance. If we follow God only when he gives us what we want, then we're not treating him like a king. What we're doing is we're treating him like our servant. And we've made ourselves the king. For God to come first for us, he has to come first in everything. He has to have the preeminence, including the one thing we really don't want to give up for his kingdom, whatever that one thing may be. We need to identify that, and we need to deal with it. The problem is, though, that oftentimes we put what we want ahead of what God wants. We build our own kingdoms rather than seeking first the kingdom of God, Uh, like Jesus told us we should do. And this is evident, really, every time we indulge in a sinful pleasure or we speak an angry word to somebody or if we speak an angry word, maybe even to God. Or maybe we uh, make a selfish purchase. And this is why we need the mercy and forgiveness that God offers us in Jesus, the eternal anointed king. You know, like Solomon, Jesus established his throne by eliminating all his enemies as well. The only thing about it is his enemies were the strongest enemies of all. His, his, His enemies were much stronger than Solomon's enemies. His enemies were sin, death, and Satan. But Jesus defeated these enemies by suffering the deadly punishment on the cross of Calvary that we deserved for our own sins. You know, the truth of the matter is we deserve the same punishment that Solomon's enemies received. And that is death and banishment. But Jesus took the punishment that we deserve so that we could live. Jesus put the kingdom of God first. He refused to let even one single thing get in the way of giving his life for our salvation. He refused to put even one single thing in the way of doing the work of the kingdom of God. And now Jesus calls us to join him in doing the same thing. 
He calls us to join Him in putting the kingdom of God first, first in our minds, first in our hearts, first with our bodies, first with our time, first with our talents, first with our bank accounts. So this is my challenge to myself and to every one of us. Let us stop using the things of this world for ourselves and to build our own kingdoms. But let us use them instead for the glory of God and the expansion of His kingdom. Let's prioritize God's kingdom. I challenge you to do that. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're not a part of the kingdom of God. So what I beg you to do tonight is put your faith and trust in God's eternal anointed King, the true Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that, automatically, instantly, you'll become a member of the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you something, you'll never regret having Jesus as your king. Will you do that tonight? You are a member of the kingdom of God. You've put your faith and trust in Christ. Let's reprioritize our life. And let's put his kingdom first.